sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. Yes, folks, and it's another week here at Dublin South FM. And as you know, and I say every week, we try to bring you the best people from all around the world, people that are influencers, people that are thought leaders, people that just love their career, people that care, like you and me, normal people who, in fact, are just trying to make a living, trying to help other people. And today, I have a communications specialist, Laureen Sergey. Lauren, did I get the name right there or did I get it wrong? Or did most people get your name right? Most wrong? people get the last name wrong. They 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 put a lilt onto it or they they're like Sergey. I'm like, no, it is not fancy. It's Sergi. Think Sergi. like as North American as you can Sergi. get. It's like when when I lived in Germany in Germany many, many years ago, 22 years ago, and people used to say to me, why wouldn't you speak German when you put on this accent? And I said, what accent? Because I was going, uh, hello. <laughs> so every time I spoke German, <laughs> I'd put on this, what's uh, los? Schulgen bitte. And they go, what do you think? I said, I think subconsciously I'm trying to make the people think that I'm German and I'm not foreign. And by doing that, they would just go, speak to me in English, go, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Communication specialist. That's a fancy, fancy, fancy name for. Yes. Yes. It is. And really, Joe, all that it means is that I help people talk with their mouths better. Ultimately, that's what I do. If you need to get an idea across using your mouth and your voice, that's where I come in. As we have a saying in Ireland, and which mothers will use to their children, their older children, says, stop talking out of your ass and yes. talk out of your mouth. Exactly. That's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like myself. I'm the, you know, I have a specialist attached to my name as well. So I'm the client acquisition specialist. Oh. Because it gives us that, it gives us that little extra vump. It gives the extra vump. And within the within the professional speaking world, we love to say that people people don't hire speakers; they hire experts in whatever subject it is they need. That's the important thing. What do you do? But the word "expert" feels gross. <laughs> it just it doesn't sit well. And so I figure, well, specialist, strategist, strategist, specialist, geek. You know, I I remember years ago trying to, oh, what's the business? So I call myself Joe Dalton, and that's a business because I have the confidence to not hide behind a name. And I remember going, okay, am I am I a consultant? Am I a coach? Am I a mentor? And you'd Google and you'd find a different word means. And I love words. And, you know, when you really get into them, they make sense of what they are. But then I was going, which am I? For me, they're all the same things. So now I'm just a trusted advisor, specialist. Love it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Love it. Why did you get in to communication? Oh, I started my working life as the world's worst librarian. And, you know, I graduated from library school. Yes, that's a thing. <laughs> With my shiny master's degree, all bright and bushy-tailed and eager to launch my career. And what I discovered was that it was more the, 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 the bureaucratic culture of libraries didn't really work for me. The work itself 
was wonderful, but I just didn't fit. And the funny thing is, is that I never actually worked directly with the public because very, very quickly into my library career, I was flagged as the person who can convince other people to do things they don't want to do. And so I was, I became a trainer and I would go from the regional library where I worked and I would travel out to all of these little rural libraries all over Alberta and convince the staff there to use resources or to do different practices or enact policies that they didn't want to do. And I could actually get them excited and thinking positively about it. So this is great, right? I, I was drawing on a strong background of, a, of an English degree and studies in rhetoric and performance art, because I also had a background in radio and acting. As I was going around giving these talks, and I'd talk at conferences, I'd talk at individual libraries, Afterwards, the conference director or the library director would come and say, you know, that was great. I never thought they would actually want to use those boring databases ever. Can you come back and teach us how to present like you do? I was like, oh, you bet I can. You bet I can. Because by then I had created, I had systematized my approach to developing and practicing and delivering presentations because I had to give so many. And I thought to myself, you know, if there's this many people in libraries, which is a kind of a niche area, who want this training, there's probably other people who want it too. And I hung up my shingle a few years into my career. I said, I will put an ad in the local online classifieds saying public speaking coach. I will help you give better presentations. And within two weeks, I had my first client. You sounded, a bit, you sound a bit like... You were the library enforcer. You were the one that was <laughs> going around to all these locations and you were the enforcer. You were dead right about something there. Everything is about systems, processes and behaviours. Everything. Once you know what you do, everyone else will know what you do as well. And most people don't know what they do. And in radio, as your background in radio and in the arts and everything, we are always intrigued about what's being said and what's not being told. Putting that together with communication, that if you're helping C-suite executives, they have to be very mindful in the words that they use because, they, because of their authority, they have influence over people that they probably don't recognize. Do you teach executives to understand that the power of the word, how they can help or destroy someone in their communication. Absolutely. I put a lot of stock when I'm working particularly one-on-one -on -one with executives or with management teams and senior leaders. I put a lot of stock in how, how what they say is affected by the power that they hold. Because you can't, you can't separate communication influence and power. They all fit together because they all affect one another. Some people will be trying to communicate and they have no power, and that's going to affect what they need to do in order to get their point across. Others will have a ton, a ton of power, and that's going to affect how people receive their information and respond to it. It adds, it all adds layers of, of meaning not just informational meaning, but also social meaning. And executives need to understand how to work with those layers. 
So what I've seen are in many cases, in some cases, it will be executives who have recently come into their position who find that they're having a hard time sitting at the table with other executives because they haven't really figured out that power dance with people at the same level as them. So they'll come in, they'll say, well, these people used to be my superiors or these people are, they've been in their jobs for so long. And yes, I managed all of these teams, but I'm the new one at the table. And they find that they lose their voice. They're not sure how to be now that they're in a different power structure. And you get others who basically forget how strong of an impact the power of their position gives them. And they can become almost desensitized to the nuances of what it is they say. So for them, I'll come in and say, okay, you said it this way, but everyone looks at you this way. So they are interpreting it like this. How does that change your message? And they'll go, ooh, didn't think of it that way. Yep. So it's, I help mesh everything together. And a lot of this comes from understanding just how, how people get along with one another. So there's a lot of understanding of empathy, you, a lot of emotional intelligence training goes on here and helping people pick up the nuances. Like you said, understanding what is not being said and working that into their communication strategy. It's definitely the art of communication, you know, and, and one of the things which I use is the, you know, the law of reciprocity. Um, and when you're looking at people that we all know and the communication, it's making that eye contact, it's building that rapport, it, it, you know, it, just the NLP part of it, which I don't really agree with. I think it should be flow more natural on it. But you said two things there. One is someone can get into a new role and feel insecure is the word really of being in those shoes. And then on the other side, you could have the ego, which is driving. How do you, how do you determine yourself when you go into a conversation to figure out fairly quickly if the person is A or B and how you help them? It comes out in their language very, very quickly. The person who's insecure tends to speak with deference towards the other people around them. They express their self-doubt really clearly. Um, oh, I don't know about this. Oh, I don't think I can say that. They are like this. They are so, and they speak very not always admiringly, but respectfully, they're very aware of how much everyone else brings to the table, but they have very little awareness of what they bring. They might know one or two things, but you can hear that uncertainty in terms of how it fits in, in the language they use. So yeah, I don't know if I can say that. Um, well, this person has been on this, on this management team for, uh, for eight years now. So, you know, I got to pay attention to that. There's almost this excessive external awareness with the people who um, come in kind of from the more bulldozy, if you will, the bulldozers who come in and, and kind of just have forgotten about the emotional side of the, uh, of the conversation, who maybe have lost a bit of touch. They might be coming from a place of overconfidence or arrogance. That is, you can almost take a language that the insecure person uses and turn it on their head. They will focus in on the failings or the lackings of everyone else. They don't know this. They never understood that. Well, they did that, but they screwed it up. So when they talk about others, it tends to be dismissive. And when they talk about themselves, they tend to be frustrated. Like there's something they want to do, but they have to hold back and it's pent up. So a very, very 
it's two sides of the coin, depending on what someone is feeling like. And I can usually pick up on that within about, within about the first five minutes. What's resonating with me is that on both sides, and you were dead right about turning it upside down, is, you know, a lot of people, they might have sympathy, um, they might have empathy, but the real thing, what they, they need is compassion and understanding. Personally, myself, I always look at, okay, something's gone wrong. The person on the, on the other end here they might have a terrible life. They could be in a relationship where they're being abused. There's a, a, a few a financial few going on at home. There is something, their neighbors are BSs. There's something that could be affecting them in such a way that is bringing that into the workplace. And you have to accept and acknowledge that, that it's okay and help them if you can. So what's the worst talk you have ever given? Oh, gosh, the worst talk that I've ever given. I would say that those really awful talks were still back in my library days when I had started to personally check out of what I was doing, when I had lost any desire at this point to be working in the industry, to be working with these people, to be talking about these services um, discussing things that I didn't believe in. When I lost the connection with my content, that's when the quality went down. And what happened in those cases is that instead of being very concerned that I made what I was saying understandable to the audience, so taking what I know and making it accessible to them, I was annoyed with the fact that they weren't getting it. So the focus now isn't on them anymore, it's on me. Why don't you get this? This is easy. Come on. Like you, you idiots, uh, you idiots. Dude, Why don't you get this it? This is so simple. <laughs> Type this in and this will come out. Like, and, and that's, those were some bad talks. And it was mostly because I was feeling contempt and irritation for my audience. And those two things are communication killers. That's when I really started to say, Hey, you know what? I, I need to stop this. I can relate to that, but you have to kind of, and we all know that if you do a talk and you do it, the other people don't know that you've screwed up. So they might think it's wonderful, but it's, it's what eats you inside is the thing that does the damage. And it can knock the self-confidence on you as well. It can. And, you know, I've given some stinker talks like that too, where I haven't been sufficiently prepared. Um, those that certainly happens. And I think that that's part of the roller coaster of being involved in professional speaking as well, is that it's it's a performance art and there's going to be bad performances. And we beat ourselves up when we have those bad performances, the same way that my clients beat themselves up when they go and present at a conference or, or give a pitch and it didn't go perfectly. And they spend all their time beating themselves up. And I'm sitting there saying, you, your perceptions are so wildly different from the audience's perceptions in terms of what was going on there. So how did the audience respond to you after the presentation? What happened after? How were they reacting to you while you were speaking to them? Go off of their responses, not off of your feelings. And when you're dealing with insecurity, that is a much better barometer for figuring out whether or not the conversation is going well or the presentation is going well. How are they behaving towards you? So you have to get out of your own head. 
And, but, but like I said, those, those bad talks for me was when I was feeling angry coming out of them. And I was like, like no, no. The baseball bat angry. (laughs) Yeah. And I would just, ah, why don't you get this? That to me is a much bigger red flag than feeling like that was awful. I forgot half of what I wanted to say. You know, I had this conversation so carefully planned and we never even got there. The, the irritation towards the other person to me is a bigger red flag that something is really wrong than the feelings of I didn't express myself clearly. Probably one of my first talks when getting up and there was no one in the room and the people that were in the room, you know, I was expecting, oh, there's meant to be 500 people at this event. And I I was the first talker at 9 a.m. while everyone was still setting up their stalls and I went and did a talk. I basically start laughing on stage. <laughs> I start laughing. The three, four people that were there, I went down to the audience and I pulled them all around Perfect. and we just spoke because yeah. it's a bizarre thing. And I laugh now. And the hardest talk I ever did, the most stressful talk, was my TEDx. Oh, yes. The pressure's on. It wasn't. If, if I had a half an hour, it would have been great. I had to, I had six minutes and I had to get my message into six minutes. And I think that's what made me nervous. What, you know, what am I doing? You, you silly agent, I want to run out. Is it discover, learn, reinvent? I don't know the word. You can help me with that and get up on stage. It opens up a whole new arena for them. Yep. Oh my gosh. Does it ever. It's, Dealing with that with that surge of nervousness when you get up on stage or at the thought of giving a talk is worth every drop of mental prep and content prep and whatever it is you have to do to be able to take those few steps in front of an audience. Uh, what being in front of people delivering a message does is it positions you as an expert right out of the gate. And this is, again, this is part of the really fascinating stuff behind communication and power and influence and all of those things. When you have been asked to speak to a group, the group assumes that you were asked to speak because you have something that they need. So you've basically been vetted already by the people who have invited you to speak. Now, the exception to this is when you are entering into a business pitch scenario. This is different. Now they are actively vetting your idea. So it that's why pitches can be such a mind, such a mind flip, even for people who are very confident speakers. But the when you get up in front of those people, they're saying, well, John asked Joe to come up and speak to us. And I trust John. So there's probably a reason why he asked Joe. So they're already giving you the benefit of the doubt. They're already positioned to listen to what you have to say, even if they're feeling a little bit combative. The other thing it allows you to do is occupy space, usually without being interrupted or with minimal interruptions. And that's part of the kind of the etiquette of someone getting up and giving a talk. So for those six minutes of your TEDx talk, it is understood and agreed by the audience that they are not going to interrupt you. So even though it is really difficult to get a message boiled down to six minutes, it is short presentations are the hardest by like by far. They're the hardest, even though it's hard to get your message boiled down. You have six uninterrupted minutes to do it. That is 
power. We tend to give people who have a certain amount of power, whether it's power of knowledge or of association or legitimate power because of their position, we give them more space to talk. And that's what you're being given a space to talk. So it's reinforcing all of these very, very basic human social functions right in the back of our brain there when someone gets up to give a speech. Never mind the fact that now you can actually spend some time getting through an idea from point A to point Z and lay it all out in front of them. There's so much going on. There is so much going on. Now, I've got up and held court for three and a half hours, four hours talking to people and had people in fully engaged. Give me that any day. One thing that I think for people when they get into talking and all the different organizations around the world which help people to be better communicators, ego go on that ego trip or they'll go in and the superiority mindset. How do you give them a kick in the ass and how do they pull themselves back? Or is that just a car crash waiting to happen for some people? Sometimes it's a car crash that needs to happen because they haven't been given the jolt to say, hey, it all makes sense in your head, but they're not in your head. You have to get in their head. And meet your audience where they are at. It's not about them coming to you. Um, very often when I'm dealing with an individual and they need to prep whatever it is, whether it's a conversation or a talk, the, prep, the preparation work is almost identical for all of it. They're prepping something like that. The way that I challenge someone who is feeling very, very, very certain over what it is they're saying is to any time I am unsure about their message or where they're going, I will ask them, what do you mean? And that's very often for people who have, who have developed a huge ego around their speaking and around their communication, it's because they haven't been challenged. What do you mean? No one ever asks me that. And it's possible that no one's ever asked them that again because of power dynamics or relationships or people don't want to, they think that they're going to look bad if they say, I don't understand what you're saying. There's all sorts of reasons why people don't get challenged in their communication. But starting with that, what do you mean, forces them to begin unpacking what it is they're saying. And they can't now assume that their meaning is clear. And usually once that process starts up, they start to see all of the different ways that they can be interpreted, all of the different holes in their argument or in their position. And now they have to do the very, the very ego squishing work of working through that. And the next thing that I challenge them with is, so what? You made your point, so what? What's next for me? Why do I care? And now they have to figure out either why the audience should care or what the audience is going to do with this information, because that's generally a step that we forget. The people that I'm talking to, what are they going to take this information and use it for? That's the so what. And until you've identified that, you're not actually communicating, you're not focused on the audience. So those two questions, um, you know, that I don't understand, tell me, I explain it better, and so what? are two of the best ways to take someone from a position of arrogance to a position of not shame. You never want to shame them because they probably are very good at what they do, but to a position of awareness of the other people that they're communicating with. That's brilliant. I yeah. really, arrogance, I, 
Yeah. You're up I, in your own head. I really like that. Um, it's like my wife, wonderful, my beautiful wife. I, you know, if someone asked her in the street, what do I do? She probably goes, I don't know. And she is my best person that if I need to say something, she'll go, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> like first, but it's for not knowing what I do and if she and then if I say something she goes I get it then I go okay that's good for the audience and she's my heart she's my critic she's my critic and but you the- know it's really something really cool Joe with that just to carry this thought on a little bit further is that for people who are not necessarily in positions of communication power asking those questions to people who are in power can totally change the dynamic of a conversation So if you, because you being lower on the ladder or whatever, this is whatever social hierarchy or professional hierarchy is going on, the person who is lower down almost has permission to ask questions like this. As long as you come by it very honestly and can quickly do something with that information, it's not going to look bad. So by asking Mr. Mucky Muck, who is all up in his own head, thinks he's he's absolutely wonderful, gives his decrees from down on high. Could you explain that again? I, I don't understand this. Could could you clarify that for me? Can be like a great question, whoa. which a great question which I ask people if I don't know. I say, I don't understand what you're saying. Could you please explain it a little? Could you please explain that? Because I'm curious. I do want to know. Where most people will just nod their heads. The other thing is some people get up on stage and they do it to get claps, likes. You know, yeah, I. the true objective of getting up on stage should be for people to welcome your idea and to do business with you. So it creates that need for them to get you to actually go, can you help me with that? Would you agree with that sort of principle? I believe that you get can the book do... Up. Wave the book. Wave the book. <laughs> well, the one that I... Uh, books, plural. Huh. Oh, my There's God. There's one. Oh, my God. There's the other. This one, the Handy Communication Answer Book, is kind of how to do all of it because you might as well write a 400-page reference book for your first one. If a publisher says, can you write a 400-page communication reference book, the answer is yes. And the other one tells you how to do it on video and do it well over, over virtual meetings. What I would say is that you can do both. You can go up for the applause and you can go up to give the information. And the marriage of both is what makes a really phenomenal speaker. Um, One of the best that I've seen do this is Sir Ken Robinson um, with the uh, with his talks on on education. And it's, you know, it's a it's a shame that he left us young um, because I would have loved to have seen more from him. But his combination of entertainment and information was fantastic. Very, very good. Where the claps and the entertainment side of it plays into the overall message is that that kind of appreciation of performance helps you capture and engage people. So if you can put in that, what you are, what you are demonstrating is an awareness that you have to hook the audience. And, you know, human, humans, we like to be entertained and there's nothing wrong with that. So the entertainment factor is almost a way of amplifying your message and capturing their attention, especially if you have to speak for, you know, an hour, two hours, honestly, even 20 minutes, you need to capture their attention. Um, But then the telling them how to do something, that is the soul of the talk. If you don't have something valuable there, 
if it's all just fluff and nonsense, then you don't have a talk. And I, as someone in the audience, am deeply annoyed because I gave you my time and my attention. And that is precious, especially nowadays. And that's where many motivational talks fall really flat for me. The Tony Robbins of the world. Very entertaining, but nothing of of actual substance. And that rankles me a great deal. So, you know, telling people how... It's raw, raw. It's raw, raw. And, And so what... The question comes in. I would have to agree with you on that. It goes back to what we said in the beginning. Listen to what's being said and what's not being told. As I continue on this journey, try to get somewhat a little bit better in my communication. I can see the influencers, the mega rich influencers of what they're doing. And I kind of go, they're just normal people. And if you have a system, a belief, a product that you personally believe in that can change the world, then you can as you can come as rich, powerful, whatever it be, if you choose to, as those people. Because all it is is fluff. As I get older as well, I understand that a lot of people need to follow someone else because they're not willing to take full responsibility for their own individual life and it will allow someone else to guide them. I think it's great. The likes of yourself can help people walk down that path of integrity. Yes. Well, we help, we help people figure out stuff, you know, with, with your talks, like you said, you're helping them you're helping show them how to do something, not spoon feeding them exactly what to do at all stages. You're saying, here is how you do this thing. Now, now go figure out how to apply it. And a wonderful thing happens when you help people understand a concept and then help them run with it is that they then trust you and they want to come back for more. So in your talk, something, something that everyone struggles with, is saying too much. You know, we try to shove too much into a single conversation. We try to solve all the problems in one meeting. We try to give everything we know in one presentation. But if you focus down onto one thing, one idea, one action that people can take and then do something productive with it, they'll say, what's the next? What's the next one? What's the next step? What else can I do? I did this thing. And it worked. I thought about this problem the way you recommended it. And it worked. What else have you got? They're going to want to do business with you. My kids ask me a question. I give them an explanation of why that was created. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like... You sure you're not a librarian? (laughs) I go on. And they go, oh, oh, no, mom, dad's at it again. Dad's at it again. I'm giving the, the, the explanation on it. We were all living in our little pods for the last two and a half years. And has it now got harder for everybody to be heard, to get noticed? Because 1.5 million podcasts in the world, only 250,000 of them are, are still going. The majority do six, six podcasts six YouTubes, six whatever, don't get the traction and leave. But those people that are doing that 
are flooding the market who are genuinely got something to say they've got the message and it, everything's been you know, thrown into a mixing pot and being stored around how do you get above that like you, your book is on how do you get beyond that without being false if you are false people will find out it is hard to keep up a phony appearance it's really really hard by the same token it doesn't mean that you can't change it doesn't mean that your that your message or your tone can't shift as you learn and grow and develop so the the concern about authenticity i only think becomes an issue if you are trying to copy what someone else is doing because it worked for them so i'm going to look and sound and do and be exactly like that person that'll get really really tiring in terms of getting your message out there yes the media market is brutally saturated this is a wonderful this is both the best and the most difficult time I think for people who are trying to get their message out, because we now have the means to reach global audiences, but so does everyone else in the world. Uh oh. So there's a ton of competition for um, for time and for attention. The big thing is to recognize that when you are trying to get your message out, when you are trying to build something, you're playing a long game, and you can't lose focus of the fact that this isn't something that you're going to achieve in six YouTube videos. You're not going to reach a big audience with a few podcast episodes. You are going to reach it after you relentlessly put out like 50, 100, 200, and you keep sharing them and see who comes your way. What I find works very well, and that's partially because it's it's what has been working for me. And yes, my, my business, my career, this is a long, slow burn on my part too. I've been at this for a while was to find people that I already had access to or that I could get easy access to. I would start locally. I would say, hey, group, this this social group over here or this service club like the Rotary Club or Lions, or I'm sure you have your, your social do-gooders clubs in, uh, in, in <laughs> your drinking clubs. I have this thing to say, do you want me to come and give a talk? And then most of them will say yes, because, hey, it'd be great if uh, if there was someone different at the at the drinking party for us to listen to because we've heard each other BSing nonstop for years on end. It's it's they will probably say yes. I I no longer drink. And when I go out with friends um, and I see them drinking or a a social gathering at 12 o'clock, I can see the tiredness at the same time no. and the, and i go i need to get out of here i need like, to get out of here time to this go is, this, is, this is this is i need to go Do i drink a lot of ginger ale because <laughs> it's like no i am not no. i am not going there and i have to do things tomorrow morning what? it's like no one ever asks what's in my glass of ginger ale it's, it's whatever ale. they want it to be my, my mother used to drink ginger ale on its own with yep. lemon so people would think she was drinking brandy or something you know? exactly yeah. so but, you find the local people and the people that you can get easy access to and then you say hey i've also got this thing that i'm doing can i send it to you and then yeah, you do that over and over and over and you build slowly your circle will build the one of the things like here it's chamber of commerce is quite big and then you have these other meetings and people go to them and my market is the usa so I was using Zoom well before COVID kicked in. As far as communication, like I've been doing this show 
or on the radio since 27, 20, 2017. I've been doing it relentlessly. Do you have times when you want to give up? Oh, geez, I'm fucking bored of this. But I'm, you know, I say, keep saying it, I'm crap at golf. So this is my sport. <laughs> you know? It's a more productive use of your <laughs> time. Yeah, yeah. And I get to meet wonderful people like yourself. And it opens up my whole network. But here's the mad thing. I don't care about clicks or likes. I'm doing this because I want to talk to you. And I think you have a great message. And I find the information that you're doing is beneficial. And I know that there will be many people that will benefit from it from from it as but i don't i don't need the gratification clicks or the likes to make me feel good yeah. is that wrong no that is exactly the attitude that you need to be able to keep this up in the long term what you are doing what any of us who are not worried about the number of clicks are doing is is putting is creating content with generosity we're not worried if 5,000 people watch it. We're worried that a handful of people who really need this message see it. And that's like, if, if five people who are like, wow, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Thank you so much. If they get it, five is enough. And going for the clicks that way, madness lies. I have tried that. Um, not very successfully because I uh, don't exactly have a lot of energy for it. But, you know, I've tried to create the stuff that's going to work well in the YouTube algorithm. No, no, no. All of these systems like YouTube, like whatever it is you're using to get your message out, trying to game the algorithm. There are people in click farms in Slovenia or something that all they do all day is play that game. And guess what? They have 50 people playing that game for one show and they're going to play that game better than you. They're going to optimize. They're going to get the clicks. They're going to create the garbage content and they're going to get the views. But to what end? Ad revenue? I would agree. Had shows have had minimal people listen and I've had people email me going, thank you because that show saved me or I got something from that that I needed. And I, the messages I get are amazing. And then there's other shows, you know, with 25,000, 40,000 people on them. It's the quality and, of, and the, of the audience and the people listening to them. We have our regular listeners and everything as well. So, yeah, I'll be doing them. I have two shows. I have the business show, which is this, and then I have another show, which is off mainstream topic. And everything, the power of communication is amazing. You know, we could name leaders around the world over the last couple of decades that have changed society because of the conversation. You know, where I'm focused on in terms of my next projects is really, really wrangling that importance of clarity of message and of thoughtfulness and awareness of everything that is going on behind the words that we say. I want people to engage in communication in the, in the educational field, in the business field, everywhere. See communication as a fundamental and highly strategic process that we really do need to master. And it's worth taking the time to master it. That's kind of the thing that I'm evangelizing right now, if you will. So that's where my work coming up is, is very much focused on. 
here is the strategy. Here's what's going on. Here's everything at play behind the words that you're using. Take the time to use those words well. Take the time to figure out what those words need to be. Take the time to figure out all of those inputs that are going on with the people around you so that when it does come time to say something, you say what they need to hear. I'm going to stay silent now. (laughs) Your book, Unmute. If someone was to purchase your book, what are you hoping that they get from it? I want them to understand this medium of communication because you can't be the same way when you're communicating through a webcam that you are when you're in person. Like I said, there's always strategy. There's so much more going on behind the act of communication than many of us give credit for. And when you are on camera, you're not talking directly to someone. You're talking to them through a camera. And that means that we have differences in attention span, differences in social cues, differences in communication cues, and you need to be able to work with all of that. So when people are reading the book, by the end, they will understand how to use the webcam, how to interact with the webcam so that it feels natural to the person on the other side of the camera. I don't care how comfortable I am. That is a very bright light. This is a very warm room. I want to look at your face, but I'm going to look at the camera because I want you to feel connected to me. So understanding things like that to make a good experience for the other person, they will know how to do that. They will know how to manage a conversation and have a conversation so that the flow can be as close to an in-person experience as possible. And finally, we wrap up the book with understanding how to schedule the use of this medium so that you don't burn out with it. Because this is a cognitively heavy way to communicate. Our brains are processing so much more when we're dealing with a webcam than they need to process when we're in person. And it's just the difference of the medium. So how do you use this in the long term with your teams, with your clients, with whoever, in a way that ensures you don't burn out and that they don't burn out either? That's what we cover in this book. And it's in 150 neat little pages. And it's fun. (laughs) I, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It's about, I've never thought of it that way before, about that communication, about all the different things we're looking at. Like we're, we're talking here and you're hoping the tractor down the road doesn't come in yeah. or the dog bark or the children scream. Or the know, children or scream. And scream what of, do you do when that happens? This still throws, you know, more than two years after the pandemic started, after this style of communication became mainstream, we're still struggling with it. We're still thrown off by things like that. Um, How do you deal with that? How do you maximize all of the good things about this medium? Like you can literally set your own stage behind you to enhance the message and the impression that you want to send to other people. Have you done it? I have. I'm sure that you have. You've got a beautiful brick wall behind you. you. You look good. I can see the microphone, which for someone in radio, this setup The microphone, the headset, all of that reinforces that this is a radio professional. Good. I want to see these things. But meanwhile, there's others who just throw up that blur background, which looks terrible (laughs) and chops your head in half as soon as you move around a little bit because the software can't keep up. Instead of hiding your background, why don't you style it so that it reflects your business message 
or the message about your personality that you want to reflect. You know, there's so much you can do in this medium and quite easily too. I think you're right because I, before this, I had green screens and trying to get it right. And I remember when I started doing videos first, there was one bedroom upstairs which had the light, the window, and I'd had the pod up and I'd have the green screen and it was a real small bedroom and trying to get it right to to show, you know, some fakery or whatever it may be. But now, uh, now I just... This is me. This is the room. That's the wall. That's the couch the dog lies on. It's very much, Works. you know, that 80s, 60s, whatever it may be. And I'm content with it. Sometimes I look at that wall and go, I'm sick of looking at that wall. I need to get rid of it and change it. Yeah. But It looks life. good. And, you know, here's some, here's some really interesting. When we talk about the psychology of the medium, if you have that green screen up, if you have that blurred background, people know that that's not where you are that your background isn't actually blurry like that. So now they're wondering, what are you hiding? You could, be in, got small, the silly... you could be in a small room and you could yeah. have dirty dishes behind you. Or... It's possible. Hide the, dishes. Hide the dishes. <laughs> you don't need a big space. This wall is arm's length behind me. You don't need a big space. But when we see that sort of, you know, part of what I of what I speak about in the book is that communication always happens in context. And one of the contexts that we use when we're having a conversation is the space that we're in. A business pitch meeting would feel very different in a high-end cafe than in a McDonald's down the street. You would invite someone to the high-end cafe because you're trying to use it to send part of your message. So when they're looking at what's behind you on camera, that is affecting part of what they think about you. And if you're actively hiding it, their thoughts are going to be, where, where are they? Space matters. Space that matters. Kind of things, that no, kind of no thing. Frontiers. No frontiers. No frontiers. No frontiers. As many people think, you don't need to set up a full production studio to look good or to sound good, or to have a good conversation. You just need a little bit of awareness and a bit of intention. It's easy, but it's not intuitive. And that's why many people are still struggling with it because they've never had to think about this before. Where can people find you? laurensergy.com, L-A-U-R-E-N-S-E-R-G-Y.com. You can find the book at unmutebook.com. Nice and easy. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. So far, I'm the only Lauren Sergi on there, as far as I can tell. Um, but it's pretty darn easy to find me on LinkedIn as well. Lauren, thank you for coming on to Dublin Sound FM Radio. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, I love the energy. I love the drive. And the information that you have to share has been so beneficial to my audience. What if you could have a sustainable business without the liquidity concerns and make your company more profitable? Curious? Check out our tried and tested proven client acquisition formula. Go to www.joedalton.ie and book your free consultation now.